Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, before we talk to Sherry Jacobus, let's talk about our Amazon link at bobseska.com. Whether you're shopping for yourself or if you're buying music by one of our excellent indie bands, don't forget to use our Amazon link just beneath the logo at bobseska.com. Our special link will take you to the front page of Amazon.com where you can go shopping until you're dropping. And by doing so through our link, we receive a teeny tiny commission on some of your purchases. Thanks for shopping through our Amazon link. And now let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From a nation's capital, it is Wednesday, January 29, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is the great Sherry Jacobus. You might know Sherry from AmericaReadsTheMullerReport.org, as well as her status as the very first Never Trumper. In fact, on today's show, we'll get into the scary as hell repercussions Sherry faced when she dared to criticize Trump's campaign way back in 2015. Oh, and don't forget to follow Sherry on Twitter, at Sherry Jacobus, C-H-E-R-I-J-A-C-O-B-U-S. Meanwhile, if you like what you hear, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content on our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com. Okay, let's talk with the great Sherry Jacobus. Hello? Hey, Sherry, it's Bob Seska. How are you? Hi, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing great. Great. You know, um, before we dig into everything else, tell me about America Reads the Mueller Report. I got to hear more about this and, and what your plans are. Oh, well, we've been on the air for a few months. Uh, we're, we're completely crowdfunded. We started this when uh, we saw that, you know, folks were out and out lying about what was in the Mueller Report. Yep. We realized that a lot of folks don't know they've been lied to. Uh, and uh, we have, you know, 77,000, only 77,000 voters in just three states gave Trump the electoral college win. And those were states that Putin played in. Mm-hmm. So I started this 501c4 nonprofit, crowdfunded, raised the money, uh, had wonderful people donate their time, space, money. And we shot this half hour program of celebrities and a few regular folks reading direct excerpts from the Mueller report. No political commentary, no spin, just yeah. just the facts. Yeah. And uh, we went to Hollywood and we shot this thing. 
and we had uh, we had uh, Morgan Fairchild and Montel Williams and Tom Arnold and John Cryer and Willie Garson and you know Roland Martin got us the YouTube studio so and we had a professional cinematographer who shoots movies and the whole nine yards. He donated his time, brought his crew along. Uh, the folks that were feeding us decided to do it for free because they love this project, and so we're airing this on local TV stations because. You know, you got a lot of folks that aren't on Twitter. Yeah. Um, they're not really, or the, yeah, they're not online much at all. And they don't, and they may watch Fox. They might be a little bit older. Uh, they might be what I like to call soft 2016 Trump voters. You know, <laughs> they, they, they don't know, they don't know what they don't know. They're not really yeah. accessing accurate information. They're not part of the cult. You know, they're not out there doing, they just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so we know they like their local TV programming. So we're getting, you know, they might catch us just after that very, very early morning farming business show. Some Wisconsin farmers, you know, yeah, and or Pennsylvania, they might before the Wendy Williams show, some late night stuff with some favorite shows. People in that uh, demographic like, you know, after a favorite game show, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we're, it's little by little. But again, close elections are won or lost in these margins, as we saw. Only 77,000 people in just three states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and uh, Michigan. Yeah. And that's where we're airing, as well as Ohio and Florida. And we're just plugging along. And you're not restricted to the swing states or anything like that. You're trying to get into all 50 states, right? We'd like to go everywhere. We're just starting in places kind of random. Uh, it just so happens they're kind of important states. We're, we're able to get on the air. Um, or even on some Sinclair stations, which a lot of people are surprised Ooh, about. But yeah, now again, yeah. We're, there's, we're, we're reading directed excerpts from a government document that your tax your tax dollars paid for. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can't really can't really um, argue with that. So That's right. uh, it's you know it's been great, and you know Montel Williams is kind of the lead on this. You know, Montel, our celebrities are also pretty well known to our demographic. Montel Williams mm-hmm. had one of the longest running daytime talk shows in the history of television, 17 years. Oh yeah. So, you know, yeah. And you know, they all volunteered. And so this is what we're doing. We're kind of the tortoise and the hare. We're just plugging along slowly. <laughs> and then it seems like, well, no one's talking about the Mueller report. And then what happens last week, we have Trump impeachment lawyer, Jay, uh, Jay Sekulow get up there on the Senate floor with the, you know, with senators right there and lie about uh, what, what the Mueller report said. Oh, so, my God. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's still those 10 counts of obstruction of justice in the Mueller report that a lot of people don't know about. There's crime. And, you know, we could very well see seen hints that we could see additional articles of impeachment for those 10 counts of obstruction of justice. Trump can still be when he leaves office, can be indicted and prosecuted for those. Yeah. Why do you think the charges in the Mueller report, especially the second volume regarding obstruction of justice? Why isn't there at least one article of impeachment pegged off of that document? There's there's a couple of things. I think that uh, the the details of the Mueller report just seemed so uh, huge, so many of them, too mm-hmm. difficult for people to grasp. And here we had Barr out there lying about it. And I think it, it I just think people really didn't expect that. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of gave up a little bit on it because we were deluged with misinformation. Um, and I think that could change. But when the Ukraine situation reared its ugly head, um, that was a little bit easier to understand. Well, we, you know, I disagree that it's complicated. I think we've made it very simple. We pulled mostly from the summaries. Mm-hmm. And if you go to um, our website or if you go to my Twitter account, you'll see um, different things. We put up, uh, we post 
little clips. There's a promo clip on the website. It's America Reads the Mueller Report. Dot org. There you go. And you can donate there. You can also look at the clips. Um, it has, by the way, been universally accepted that Morgan Fairchild is fabulous. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes, I, I've been uh, I've known her on Twitter for quite some time now, and she does incredible work. I'm so glad that she's part of this. She is. She's well. She and I have been friends for years because, believe it or not, we became friends when years ago we spent the day together in New York because we were on Guess Who's show, Montel Williams' show. So he's <laughs> a pal, go. and he pulls in his pal Tom Arnold. Uh, John Cryer is somebody I've been in touch with because of all this Trump stuff for some time, and he's you just reach him directly. You don't, don't go to his agent, you know. Mm. So he wanted he's he wanted to do it. Uh, and then Willie Garson, you know, of Sex and the City fame and everything Stanford else, Blatt, and yeah, everything. Yeah. He he reached out to me and says, I hear you're doing this. I want to be a part of it. So, oh, so we great. were able to uh, coordinate our base schedules. And, you know, I said, hey, I don't even have a car service to go pick you guys up. We're a nonprofit. And they're like, we'll get ourselves there. You know, <laughs> and so it was it was just a really wonderful day. Uh, and uh, and so we've been raising this money. But again, we're not a super PAC. There's no consultant kickback culture here. Yeah, um, we are. Yeah, there's there's none of that going on. Uh, and, uh, so this, you know, every, you know, we don't have an overhead. The hard part was getting this produced and people sending us money mm-hmm. on faith. Uh, and then when we were producing it, we were, you know, sending pictures out on Twitter from that day and people started giving money. So, you know, we're getting there. You yeah. know, you do it little by little, we're getting there. So we've aired about 50 times so far. I'd like to air a lot more than that, but, uh, local TV is cheap. So folks <laughs> want to give. Um, you know, every every dime you send us um, really makes a difference. And so America reads the Mueller report dot com. That's the uh, URL dot org. Oh, dot org. OK, dot org. I'm going to put yeah. the link in the description. So <laughs> make sure no one mistakes. Yeah, the two. we're a dot org and gotcha. we're on Facebook. And uh, but uh, yeah, America reads the Mueller report dot org. Mm. And you can go to our website and you can watch our promo. You can see the full the full video. Uh, and then on the bottom, we have pictures from the day of the shoot. You can see where we're airing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we list the stations. You know, I'd like to share, yeah. I'd like to get to the bottom of what exactly happened with Bill Barr and Donald Trump and the release of the Mueller report. The, that entire uh, clusterfuck that happened back uh, last spring where uh, Donald Trump decided, hey, you know what? A way to wiggle out of this Mueller report business is to uh, bring in this guy, Bill Barr, to shield me from any sort of indictments or anything like that that might come out of the Mueller report. Do you think that was a Trump idea? Because it seems really maybe a little bit too complicated for Donald Trump. Seems like someone came to him and said, let's get this guy, Bill Barr. I mean, he's he's... evil, but he's stupid. Yeah. 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 Uh, You know, Barr... Put in, wrote an op-ed basically that uh, kind of interviewing for the job mm-hmm. saying make me your AG and I'll, I'll cover for you. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what he does. He yeah. wanted to do this. Uh, he's got his kids and, you know, uh, son-in-law, you know, installed in the white house mm-hmm. and different places where, where they can, you know, affect this. Um, I believe that Barr shut Mueller down early. Yeah. Uh, I think that Mueller, obviously, he didn't even want to speak out about this. I think he'd been kind of beat up about that. He's only human. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of he did his job, he felt. Um, but uh, he's a company man. Yeah. And so he was going to have to do what the AG told him to do. Yeah, but there was something, there was a reference that Barr made in his testimony where he said, and then 
for them to get X done in the three weeks. And I'm thinking the three weeks was what? So he told them to shut down. We had, we had uh, bar, we had Mueller going for, for funding um, for, you know, for a lot longer than that. He was in the middle of this stuff. So he quickly farmed a lot of this stuff out that he had uh, to other entities to make it harder for Barr to go in and shut it down. Hmm. But I do believe that Barr came in and said, shut it down. You got three weeks. Give me what you got. Uh, and that was it. Yeah, that was it. I don't know if we'll ever know how much Barr killed. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that I was involved in, I was hacked. I was catfished. You know, Trump went after me. Oh, um, yeah. His people were actually trafficking and in information from my hacked emails. You know, I was suing him. Uh, and I had um, the FBI got involved the Southern District of New York, and I had meetings with, you know, three and a half hour long meetings. Um, and you just never know. Uh, and then they ended up giving a lot of this stuff to Mueller's team. And I never got called in. They told me they would, don't know if Mueller would need to talk to me, but th- their investigation into what was done to me had gone beyond their initial purview of just computer intrusion. As stuff went on, it was clear that these people had my hacked emails and they were yeah. using it yeah. and the catfishing. So it got really complicated uh, and I don't know if we're ever going to know the whole truth, but I do know that we've got, remember when there was that raid, that FBI raid on Michael Cohen's office, yeah. home and hotel room. Yeah. Why he needed a hotel room in addition to an office and home. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was done by the Southern district of New York, probably for a reason why it was them and not uh, Mueller's team. But anyway, they, they got, I think it was 15 uh, devices, phones, Blackberries, iPads, uh, a lot of the information that is on that, there's it, there's some reason that's not out there. Uh, they they haven't been able to get Cohen on some things. He cooperated in some areas, but some of that is still under wraps. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I think there's still a lot there. Cohen is the key. He knows where all the bodies are buried because he <laughs> buried them. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, going back to uh, Bill Barr for just one more second, was he always like this? Did something happen to him? Is this uh, is Bill Barr another victim of the uh, Fox News conservative entertainment complex brainwashing um, that we've seen? Well, he so- did this with Iran. He did, he did this before. Yeah, um, yeah. He has a history of this. He thinks presidents should be able to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, he is um, Opus D, the kind of weird, super duper Catholic, you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that were, yeah, they, they have this bigger plan. Part of it is to make sure that the federal judici- judiciary, especially the Supreme Court, is uh, staffed full of their people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, I, I, I think that, I don't think he's there because he really, really wants to protect Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a blip on the screen to Bill Barr and people like him and people who are committed to their long-term plan. Uh, Hmm. So he needs Trump to survive this uh, until, so they can preserve the course and still keep packing the federal judiciary with their people uh, as much as possible. That is the real goal. Right, right. And so Bill Barr is a part of that. He's he is very committed. If you look at some of his Opus D uh, speeches that he's given, Federalist Society speeches, it's 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 creepy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, it's a little frightening that we actually have people in these key positions who uh, think this way and have such a commitment to it that everything they do is for that ultimate goal. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the. I mean, so some of the most shocking aspect of uh, of people like Bill Barr is 
that they are defending Trump now, which I think is different than defending George H.W. Bush uh, 30 years ago. It seems like uh, Mm -hmm. there's something else. There's something new. There's a new aspect to all of this. And it's it's most they want to hold on to him and get Pence in there if they can. Uh, They just want to hold they want to hold this until they can get every Supreme Court seat uh, possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, they, we, we have a Supreme court justice who's ill as, as is the case with, with Ginsburg, um, not to sound morbid, but they're holding out. Yeah. Uh, that is what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at what McConnell has done and how quickly they just stacked the federal bench, um, uh, you know, these, these federal judges, um, that were their people, you know, they don't, they don't really care who's in the white house. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they care who is controlling the federal judiciary, who controls the courts. Yeah. Um, and so right now they needed to pack a lot of them because that is one way that they, in fact, are going to be protecting Trump. So they needed to have some of their people in there quickly. I think that's why uh, it had to be Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, instead of some other conservative judge who you might disagree with, but at least they're decent human beings. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't think that uh, Brett Kavanaugh is, but I do think that he's friends with the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the deal is, look, we're going to protect you. We're going to get you in there. And then you need to do what it takes to, you know, to protect Trump so we can keep this all going. Yeah, it seems like the judiciary is a good place to uh, plant some permanent talons in the system. You know what I mean? Where, yes, yeah. members of Congress are have to be reelected every two years. Members of the Senate, the, the power base shifts all the time in Congress and in the White House. But the judiciary is for life, and that's going to give them a, a longer-term foothold in some of these uh, in some of these issues, and it's terrifying. Um, well, and I don't even think that it's the abortion issue. I don't think yeah. they care about that as much as they pretend to, because Trump had um, he had a Supreme Court, he had the federal judiciary, he had the White House, he had the House, he had the Senate, and they haven't done a, they haven't done a thing. So they need that issue to stay alive because that's an important part of their coalition. Um, and if, you know, in 50 years, you know, since Roe v. Wade, what have Republicans done to, uh, to change things? Well, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. as long as they talk about it, um, they have people. Now, I, I actually think both sides, um, it's a cottage industry on both sides, because basically, you know, a lot of the problems solved if you just, you know, hand out the morning after pill, like, you know, from a Pez dispenser. Uh, but it's particularly important to the right. And again, when they have the chance to do something about it, notice that they, in fact, do not. If the abortion issue goes away because it's illegal and no one can have an abortion, they, there's no need for them to exist. Right. There's no need for them to raise money. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Again, you can do that. They don't, they want, they don't even want contraception. Uh, so, again, uh, the morning after pill is one of those things that's easy and cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should be made available, and you don't hear that much about it. Yeah, you hear about birth control, you hear about abortion, you hear about abstinence, um, but you never hear about the morning after pill. Not the not the abortion pill, right? But the morning after pill, yes. the oops pill. Yeah, and there's a distinct difference and, between those two things. A, a difference that the Supreme Court, enough. yeah, and the Supreme Court and Hobby Lobby failed to completely understand. And this is one of the most frustrating uh, the scenes in, they in the history fail to of this understand. issue. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, didn't well, want to understand right. There, but there, there was a difference between uh, implantation and uh, fertilization, where the, yes. the the pills that are authorized in the Affordable Care Act only prevent fertilization. They don't prevent 
implantation and the the preventing of the implantation is what's commonly referred to as an abortion pill or an abortion uh, abortifacient pill and so that was the distinction that the supreme court of the united states managed to not understand at all because did they not talk to any doctors or scientists yeah (laughs) people who understand biology it's just so immensely Uh, frustrating but but i think that this is interesting too so there so what is why why is it so important uh, for Opus Day for federal society for um, you know an inordinate amount a number of, of Catholics uh, frankly uh, and I was raised Catholic so mm-hmm. not too. any bias there but there's this kind of weird sect out there because uh, you know there's there's something else at play and I I don't quite know what it is but I don't believe it has anything to do with abortion or they could have done it by now how does your party or your former party go from being the party of william f buckley to the party of donald trump what was the what was the transformation that took place over those decades uh well media i think you had a lot of talk radio and fox news initially i thought there was a real need for a little bit more balanced voices but i've been on fox news about 1500 times Mm -hmm. from the time of their inception i do remember when things started changing a little bit well before the era of Trump. I was there quite often. Now, in the Trump era, and I'm talking as early as the summer of 2015, when I know I was you know, in New York and I was at those studios a few times a week, I was like, what is going on here? Mm. It was like each time I go there, there was a, somebody had turned, it was a step for life, and it was this <laughs> Trump stuff, and this isn't a primary. Yeah. You know, you expect a buy, you know, and, and, and I also, you know, bias is very different from out and out lying. And I was seeing this out and out lying and withholding information. Uh, and that's a very different ball game mm-hmm. than, than just mere bias. Uh, so I think that that had a lot to do with it, uh, yeah. is, uh, the, you know, talk radio being so, uh, powerful on the right. Uh, and that's something that's so accessible, uh, to, uh, a group of people who, um, might not be considered intellectual. So rather than lifting them up and informing people, uh, if it is somebody who has a type of job where they can listen to the radio, but they're they're not going to be doing a lot of radio, rather than lifting them up and pulling them into um, more information, education, and intellectualism, instead they talked down to them. They wanted to make them more stupid. They wanted to keep them hmm. uninformed, but think they were informed so that they could control them. Yeah. There's a reason why Trump says, I love the poorly educated. <laughs> There's a reason why they say, only watch Fox News. Everybody else is fake news. You know, the Washington Post and the New York Times. So now you see this uh, where you have Trumpkins uh, out there say fake news, fake news. Anything they don't like to hear, they can't prove that it's fake. They're right. not even you know, when you say show where this is incorrect. It doesn't matter. I don't mm-hmm. I don't read anything that's in this publication or that publication or on this on this uh, network. Uh, and that is anti-intellectualism, <laughs> yeah, the very yeah. definition of it. You know, so they're um, basically isolating them from the herd mm-hmm. right, and right. Uh, keeping them uninformed and in the dark. And that's what we're, with America Reason Mueller Report, we're trying to at least you know play into that a little bit and pull them out of the herd and say, here you go. We're not telling you what to think, but just here's what it really is. This is in our opinion. Yeah. And, and you I know, think we have to do more of that across the board. You know, Sherry, I really have to take my hat off to you and, and really embrace what you did. And you were, in fact, the first person to really become a never Trump Republican uh, very, yeah. very early on back in 2016. The canary uh, in the coal mine. <laughs> exactly right. And, you know, I've been perched on this very tiny, teeny, tiny, brittle limb 
trying to convince my fellow liberals to embrace and work with never Trumpers to not just defeat Trump, but to also enact a, a slate of reforms to prevent a second Trump. How do never Trumpers, how do liberals work together to rediscover the virtue of cooperating on systemic problems while still disagreeing on policy? How do you thread that needle? Well, you know, I, I have to give um, my hats off to Elizabeth Warren for her yeah. uh, her anti-corruption stance. She keeps coming up with real proposals and promises, very easy to understand, um, that are anti-corruption. You know, she says, I won't be, if I'm president, I'm not going to be appointing big donors as ambassadors. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we are going to hold everyone to account in this administration. And it's that is something that I think um, helps throw in uh, never Trump. You know, disaffected Republicans, independents with with her and maybe particularly women with her strong and very legitimate anti-corruption message that she backs up. She puts meat on the bones. Um, And so I I think that that that's important. And I'm not endorsing her anything. I haven't you know, I switch around with who I like. I kind of like a lot of people and I'm going to vote blue no matter what. Um, But with that one, that's a real smart thing for her to do. People think that she's just competing with uh, Bernie Sanders for a certain segment of the population's vote, you know, the far left or whatever, but uh, her anti-corruption, uh, very legitimate message and promises, um, it's, it's going to, is very, very strong with other vote because I think that's the key. Now I will tell you that with some never Trump folks, when we first started meeting uh, there, we had some meetings in Washington and, and we were, and this was some time ago, people being very, very honest. And they went around the table and they said, are there, any policy issues or any other issues that you've opened your eyes to that you've changed on that you now see differently because of our former friends and allies uh, who are now Trumpers and almost to a person, um, they said race. Interesting. Uh, yeah, race was one guns were another. Um, and I think that for, for never Trumpers or conservatives or others to move forward, if you really want to unite, um, I think you're always, I mean, I'm a, I was a Republican. Um, my dad was a Republican, but he said, we're Bob Michael Howard Baker Republicans. <laughs> from Peoria originally, I worked for Bob Michael um, when he was House Republican leader. And we were, um, I've always considered myself a fiscal conservative mm-hmm. and um, a bit of a defense hawk. Uh, so I consider waste and fraud in, federal, in the federal budget, federal spending, to be very much an issue of, of corruption. Uh, and can be cleaned up. I worked on Capitol Hill for many, many years. I'm very familiar with the budget process, the authorization process, and the appropriations process, and and the lobbying that goes into putting a lot of stuff in the budget that we just don't need. You clean up waste and fraud um, and a lot of duplicated programs strewn throughout the federal government, you save the taxpayers a lot of money, and you gain their trust that way. That is something that can unite everyone, and it can take years to, to clean that up. Uh, and then you can fight over, okay, how are we going to spend, how are we going to spend this money? But if you're responsible with the money, you have a lot more freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, you can, you can start balancing the budget. I don't know how we get rid of the debt in a generation, but uh, there's lots you can do. But I think that my former party needs to drop, and I do mean drop, the fake Christian, far right, evangelical nutcases who lie, who don't understand policy, who are inappropriate about policy, who want the federal government to do things the federal government has no business being involved in. And these are, you know, Republicans are supposed to say we don't like government intrusion. 
Uh, and I saw the change in my party from the time that I first started working on Capitol Hill when Reagan was in the White House and um, what it was then. And there was just these little fringe elements that I was really uncomfortable with. I'm like, you don't like these. These are people are weird. I never met people like this, mm-hmm. but we kind of had to deal with them because mm-hmm. they were part of, I guess, the coalition, but they didn't matter that much. And it's like this boiling the frog slowly, little by little, oh, yeah. they become a little more important and have a more seats at the table to the point where they are out and out intimidating mm-hmm. um, and threatening. And um, we will hold back. We will tell all of our people to go against you if you don't do X. Yeah. And, um, and I'm going to say this too, very politically incorrect, but a lot of the people that they quote controlled in the evangelical coalition were people who are a lot like what we're seeing now with, with Trump. They are not intellectuals. Yeah, exactly. They don't care. And they will follow whatever their leader tells them to do. Yes. Um, you know, they, they're, they're worshiping the golden calf. They don't even realize how hypocritical that makes them. Yeah. Uh, and their leaders know how they can control them, and they know how to wield that power on Capitol Hill. And they'll do it with a smile and say, ah, ah, ah. With one wave of my hand, I can change everything and you know, turn them against you. Yeah. And in fact, with the, uh, and I always borrow David Frum's term, I always refer to it as the conservative entertainment complex, just in total Fox News Channel, AM Talk Radio, and so on. And I noticed over the years that they started into, and especially with guys like Glenn Beck, they really started to adapt almost a a televangelist kind of attitude or, or an approach to their style of quote unquote entertainment, political entertainment. Well, yeah. And, um, you know, that they're, they're hypocrites, you know, it's not real, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's an act and it's, it was, it's upsetting. It's unsettling to know that so many people buy into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's, you know, it, it, the whole, don't confuse me with the facts yeah. thing. Uh, so it did become entertainment. Uh, and, you know, I spent years, on the cable net, you know, as a pundit mm-hmm. and still do, haven't for a while, but, um, I saw the change too. Um, I saw, uh, instead of sexism getting better, it got worse. Yeah. Uh, as, um, the women, particularly at Fox, I'm talking about Fox, oh, God, um, yeah. the way that the, the outfits mm-hmm. and the women who were propped up as political analysts and pundits who had virtually no political experience. You know, they were dating somebody who was involved at Fox or something and, you know, someone hands them a blog. Uh, if somebody was passing themselves off as a Republican or Democratic strategist, um, they had some low-level, mid-level job somewhere for a little while, uh, there would be complaints from actual strategi- political strategists, like, we've never met this woman. We don't know who she is. Why is she up here on the yeah. channel? And so it's like, okay, we'll just give her, we'll have Murdoch give her a column at uh, the New York Post, and we'll say, now she's a New York Post, Post columnist. <laughs> um, so it was more like a sex sells. And I'm sorry, but when you are going that route, um, first of all, it hurts all women. They assume if you're blonde, I'm blonde, that you must be a, a bimbo. Uh, because that's what they see. And so it was bad for women who actually had um, real political careers. Yeah. And, you know, I've been out there managing congressional races at a time when women weren't even doing it, but I, I didn't get the memo. Uh, so I worked in senior level positions on Capitol Hill. I've been an adjunct professor at George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've worked in leadership positions. I've done this sort of thing and always as a moderate Republican. Uh, but you weren't seeing women like that on television like me. And so people all assume that we are this, the other kind. Yeah. And what that does, that's one of those things that helps lower the intellectual level of the debate that you're having. Because you, I would be on TV with people on Fox, with, with women, 
uh, some of them not old enough to have had any kind of a political career, and I had decades of it. Uh, and you, they would even say, you know, you don't want to get in the weeds on that. It's like, I'm not talking policy. This is basic stuff. It's like, don't use big words, you know, that type oh of thing. God. That was pretty much it in a nutshell. And so that helped dumb down everything because it became about sex. Yeah. Sexy, looking sexy. And if, if you don't have the political career, you can get talking points from your producer or your boyfriend or whoever it is you're dealing with at Fox. Um, but you can't conduct an actual debate. You can't think on your feet. If there's breaking news and they want you to come back and comment on it. You know, I've seen some of these young women struggle. <laughs> what? <laughs> those yeah. aren't my notes. So that was one of those things that helped, I think, dumb, dumb down the political debate. We also have some of these panels that are just too darn big. You know, we don't need 10 people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so- no, no doubt. That's that needs to go away. <laughs> like the, the 12 panel squares, you know, just uh, all at once and everyone getting maybe four seconds to make a point. And that's why the points end up, they end up getting boiled down to almost nothing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, we want to hear more from David Gergen and less from um, some Trumpkin in her sleeveless dress and look. I mean, yeah, I'm, that's now right. I'm just being, I'm being a little bit catty, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. And I know they know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so I think we do deserve better. And I, I hope that a lot of things change in a post-Trump world. I think the Republican Party, as it stands now, needs to be eviscerated. Um, if never Trump says, oh, well, we're going to bounce back into, you know, the next time we're going to have a new Republican Party. What that means is never Trump Republicans have simply decided to absorb a lot of Trump Republicans and pretend that they've changed or they were never really on board because there simply aren't enough never Trump Republicans to build a new party. Yeah. You almost have to wait till all this old crowd are gone, wow. are just gone uh, and maybe have an influence uh, with the Democrats so they don't get pulled too far left so that then a few years from now they've alienated everybody. This is an opportunity for Democrats to be a governing party yeah. for, you know, a generation. Right, right. And that's why do it right. That's why I'm so anxious to welcome never Trumpers onto the Democratic side because I think the Democratic Party is already a gigantic tent and there's quite a lot of diversity not just in terms of demographics but in terms of policy ideas and so on. And so I I see nothing wrong with that and especially in an age where elections are decided by two or three percentage points why on earth yeah yeah, why would we turn away 10 percent of republican voters who are willing to vote with us why would we want to you're talking like (laughs) you're talking like a guy who's thinking long term i've been told to stay in my lane and for my project (laughs) america reads the Mueller report stays in my lane i've heard a lot of people on the left say look you have nothing to do with our primary. You are, you know, we know you, what are you going to do? Vote for Trump. You already said you're going to vote for vote blue, vote for who? Well, of yeah. course you're vote, vote blue, but do you want to keep us beyond this, this election? Yeah. And so that's why there's, you know, sounds like you and I are on the same page here. There's mm-hmm. an opportunity for some long-term to be, again, to be a governing party. Yeah. Yeah. A well, governing party. And, and in an era where the national debate in this country is no longer right versus left, it's normalcy versus idiocracy. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> truth versus fiction. Right. And so those of is us that a bumper sticker. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> what, that's on one of the reasons I've been calling my little idea to team up with never Trumpers and to form this coalition. I've been referring to it uh, colloquially as a coalition of normals. I think this is something that <laughs> needs to, because really the normals, we all have to band together from now on. 
because this is such a tidal wave of dinguses who are descending on the American debate and they're not going away. Even if Trump goes away tomorrow, all of those people who turned up in, in New Jersey to see his rally last night, they're still going to be wearing their red hats and screaming uh, whatever about Pocahontas and, and Sleepy Joe and all the rest of it. So I feel like we all need to team up. One of the, the impediments I run into, though, and maybe you can explain this is, uh, or explain this away is I hear from a lot of liberals who are concerned that never Trumpers are just going to go back to their old ways after Trump is gone, that they're just going to sabotage us some other way. This is like a Trojan horse that's just working its way. And, and why, Bob, do you want this? Tro- why are you welcoming this Trojan horse into our gates here? Um, what do you say to those liberals who want to burn the lifeboats? What, what's going to settle their nerves? Uh- um, well, that's that's not really. What, there might be some never Trumpers who, who who go there, but I but I don't think it's quite there. But they have a little bit of a point. And to the point I was making just a minute ago, I think that you've got never Trumpers mm-hmm. who um, are moderate and can agree and work with uh, Democrats. But they, they're talking about building a new party yeah. in a post-Trump era, or we're going to have the Republican Party, but we're in control now. The rest of you are gone. It is going to be scorched earth. And I'm thinking, okay, so you do that, and then who do you have for your party? Yeah. So when they talk about rebuilding the party, but they'll be the ones leading it, it's like, so you're still going to, what, are you going to sit at the table with Kellyanne Conway just because you got George there? <laughs> yeah, right. I don't tr- trust. Because uh, uh, yep. I, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, how, how do you do that? Who, who, who decides who's in and who's out? What yeah. if they're really, really sorry and they say they've changed their mind? Better yet, what if they've got a huge donor base and they can launder some Cambridge Analytica, you know, some Mercer money and launder it and have it pop up somewhere else. These people aren't going to turn down the money. Um, <clears throat> so for me, I do not want to be a part of any so-called new GOP because I think, as I said, when we first started talking here today, I, I think it has to be burned to the ground and it'll be years before it comes back. Because if they think they come back in two years, it's like, but who's going to be in the party? It's those people that you were just talking about, yeah. the people who are at the rallies. And I say, let those people go, those fringe people, let's keep marginalizing them, and they're still going to have their party. Mm-hmm. But um, you do have to do this coalition, that I, like you just talked about, and they're, they can fight it out. It could be, you know, but for the immediate future and for the next few elections, um, I like your idea of having it be a coalition so that there's a governing party. And I think the people on the far left don't like that because they think they're going to be pulled to the center. Well, you're always going to be pulled to the center if you want to win. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the people on the extremes of either party um, feel the most powerful and have the biggest voice when their party is in the minority. Yeah, yeah. And they like that. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> they're thinking when we, excuse me, when we come into the majority, we're going to have a bigger vote, vote uh, voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but media has taken away um, the large center largely. They like, you know, I mean, it sells if you're far left or far right. They'll say, oh, we're, you know, we're doing this show. We're going to have a panel. We want you to say X, if you, you know, if you're on the, and I'll, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of times on Fox and I say, yeah, that's not me. I can't, I can't say that. <laughs> that's not how I feel. <laughs> so a lot of people who are left of center, right of center can vote. They can cross party lines. Yeah. But if they're pulled too far, to the fringes you you lose too many people okay we'll get back to our conversation with sherry here in just a second but first imagine this valentine's day story is all about you okay so you're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in just about 10 minutes 
Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags staring right back at you. You rummage through your bag thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is. Voila, it's your canister of Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes, right there in the rearview mirror. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in just minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give to yourself. Go to triplexiderm.com, enter the code SEXYLIBERAL for 50% off plus an extra $10 off. Again, enter SEXYLIBERAL at triplexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra $10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code SEXYLIBERAL. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so go get my special discount. Enter SEXYLIBERAL at triplexiderm.com. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. The Bob Seska Show. What was it like, Sherry, to be, and you mentioned this earlier on uh, with regard to your email, which was hacked and so on. What was it like to be targeted by the Trump machine? It was frightening. Um, I didn't know what was happening. I was told one night, um, this was by Arthur Schwartz, who's now the spokesperson for Don Jr. Mm -hmm. And he was friends with uh, Cohen and Stone and but hated the Trumps at a time when everybody did. He told me I was in danger. It was a night when we finally realized I was in fact being catfished and that it was obviously Trump people doing it hmm. when we traced IP address, you know, phone numbers. So, uh, when I'm told I'm alone in New York, 1130 at night, he says, are you in a, a doorman building? I'm like, no, I'm in a brownstone apartment oh on the upper West side. He says, uh, oh, what? He says, uh, we need to get a squad car in front of your house. Trump has guys in Queens. And now that they know you're onto them, they could be over to cause you harm. I was thinking I have been in tough political situations and campaigns. I'm not a shrinking, but I'm not. That's when I was like, Oh my God, I couldn't breathe. I knew that this was a whole different ball game. This is still in the primary early in the primary. Yeah. And, um, he told me what number to call for the precinct and what to say after the desk sergeant. And I, he says, you know, they, I said, well, they aren't going to come. He says, no, you're right. They probably won't come, but at least there's a record of your call in case something happens to you. Wow. And this was my reality. And then the um, catfisher, the one guy, he was working with people in Colorado, which is where the guy who um, ran the super PAC that Mm I um, confirmed or Washington Post report on, which is how all this started. He was from there. He was a Lewandowski pal. We traced numbers that were used for fake domain registration. It was a DC number. 
that used to belong to a um, private eye for hire on cyber issues who now is in Colorado and he used to do work for DHS and other places. And the FBI had all this. So I'm meeting and talking with the FBI, the FBI for over a year before I could even publicly say that I was. Um, and I was, I mean, there was some really scary stuff, really scary stuff. Uh, there were times when I had to you know, hide my whereabouts. I had to, um, you know, hide a car when I was visiting my parents. Um, I knew that they were, I had, I left my apartment. I gave up my apartment, got a different one and I uh, was being tracked and oh I knew it. Uh, it was frightening. I'd never, I'd never encountered anything even remotely like this. So now all this time later, when you start hearing other things, we know that, okay, now we hear, oh, Hillary Clinton and the DNC were hacked yeah. and the information was laundered through WikiLeaks as, so that Trump could use it. Same thing was happening to me. When you find out that, um, you know, our, our Ukrainian ambassador, our ambassador to Ukraine, Ivanovich, you know, found out very late at night at 1 a.m. She's told, you got to get out of here because you are not safe. She's on the next plane out. Yeah. So over the course of the couple, last couple of years, when I'm hearing when these things come up, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's what happened to me. But I was the first one that I knew about. And then we hear later that it happened to other people before that. Um, it is it's chilling. And it's hurtful yeah. that people who I thought of as allies and and that I trusted don't care about this, uh, whether, you know, it's Republican senators or it's just not a big enough deal for this. You know, there's so much in the news media they can't cover it also. But it's um, I know if it happened to me, it happened to other people. But I had the ability at that time to at least have somewhat of a voice um, and have the ability to contact the proper authorities so that investigations were launched. I had initially been dealing with Preet Bharara's office when he was. You wow. know, the, um, the Southern District of New York yeah. uh, on the catfishing. So when I was hacked, then they, they they were watching this and they were talking to me and things were happening, um, but they didn't have a federal crime yet. The minute I was hacked, that was uh, it. And you wow. don't just call up the FBI and say, hey, <laughs> yeah. investigation. And this was <laughs> so all. It, it was a process. It I... was a process. And it was happening when my father was ill uh, and this was not helping at all my yeah. elderly parents. So uh, as my family situation, my livelihood, my reputation, what they did to me. It's, it's just, and the fact that they were able to convince, you know, well, Jeff Zucker of CNN um, to, you know, go, he was very good friends with Trump to, so that the people in media who went along with it um, because Trump was so great for ratings and clicks and, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's no longer really about Trump. It's about the people who enabled him yeah. and built him. Yeah. Well, he also, many he, people to be hurt. He openly encourages this kind of stuff, too. I mean, he just I mean, it may be in the context of a joke at a rally or some sort of side remark at a rally about, you know, beat the beat the shit out of him or whatever he said in these rallies before. Oh, and his Second Amendment people will take care of Hillary. Remember that? Yes. One? Oh, yes. That one, too. And, and there's this so was, much. Re- <laughs> and, we need a greatest hits book here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, there's so many things. It's hard to keep them track. I almost need to keep a list on my wall like uh, Matthew McConaughey and True Detective. I a bunch of posts. Yeah. notes all over my wall and yarn connecting, uh, you know, locations on a map. But it, the reason they came after you, right, was because you exposed Donald Trump for not really financing his own campaign. You exposed the existence of this you super know, PAC. I didn't even expose him. I wasn't the source. I found out um, I was I'll just say I was told that it was Roger Stone working through Sam Nunberg who planted the story. Um, they wanted to it, you know, cut. They've been cut out of the campaign. And this was to get back at Corey Lewandowski. It was not revenge wow. on, on Trump. They were they were trying to go after Lewandowski because it was a Lewandowski pal 
who was running the super PAC. I don't know, maybe Roger Stone was thinking he was supposed to get a big cut of the money, the consultant kickback culture, and he didn't. Uh, so, you know, uh, so this, this story comes out. And um, I see that Lewandowski is lying to the Washington Post reporter, Matea Gold, saying they don't have a super PAC. She was reporting that they did accurately. Trump had attended two of its fundraisers. Jared Kushner's mother seeded it with $100,000. (laughs) There was a super PAC. Uh, The guy running it was a Lewandowski pal and was seen having meetings in Trump Tower. So, you know, at, at that point, so... You know, I clearly knew about it because they had they had tried to recruit me to be communications director and mm-hmm. a guy who was going to work on the super PAC, an old friend of 30 years contacted me and said, hey, I'm on the exploratory committee. I'm working for the super PAC. Um, we, you know, Trump needs a communications director. Will you do it? And I couldn't just say, oh, God, you, you know, asshole, hell no. I said, well, why don't we sit down and ha- talk, you know, have lunch? So yeah, I was doing a courtesy lunch with an old friend because you do that. You know, and um, he brings along this guy named Corey Lewandowski, who I'd never heard of, never met. And then, you know, I was kind of, um, they kind of, they did that on purpose. And then Lewandowski said, well, we're having trouble getting good people to meet with us. So they had to kind of trick me into this meeting. Um, He told me that they had tried to get Kellyanne, Kellyanne, and he had a meeting set up and she stood him up. I said, wait a minute, stood you up as in you had a time and a place set up and she was a no-show? And he said, yes. Um, I later found out that uh, I got when the New York Times did a piece on how I'd been attacked on Twitter. It was front page, and I get contacted by you know Ari Fleischer, who I'd known and worked with for 30 years. Mm-hmm. When I was communications director for House Education and Workforce Committee, he was communications director for Ways and Means before going to you know the, Trump, the White House. Yeah. So he he wanted to know who on the Trump team had first approached me because, uh, in fact, he had been approached to do communications. And um, he was afraid. I mean, he was, of course, you know, sorry this is happening to you. This is awful. But he was afraid that they were going to do to him what they were doing to me because at that time he was anti-Trump. So this was how Trump and his thugs would let everyone know. It's like putting your it's like chopping off the person's head and putting it up on a spike so everybody knows what they're going to do to you. And so Ari was genuinely concerned that they would do to him what they had done to me. Jesus. Um, get you banned from TV, ruin your reputation. At that time, I had maybe 30,000 Twitter followers. If that, maybe 15,000. Trump had millions. They just ruin you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes, you know, TV executives, well, Zucker was friends with them. And, and then, you know, I think Trump told, you know, when I first came out and it was me that confirmed the Washington Post report. I was not the source, but I confirmed it. Mm-hmm. I was immediately canceled on by Fox that day. Bill O'Reilly hops on Gretchen Carlson's show midday and lies for Trump. Says there is no super PAC, no super PAC. It's all made up. It's like, no, it's a sourced piece. This is what Fox does. Don't listen. Don't read anybody else. And they canceled on me for that day. It was chilling. Uh, because again, this is October of 2015. This yeah. isn't when we have one nominee on one side and nominee on the other. And I'd never seen that happen before in all my years going to Fox or any of the networks where somebody was doing this for uh, uh, as a favor to uh, to a primary candidate. It was frightening. Yeah. And I just I I I knew something very very bad was happening, not just to me, but overall. Yeah. God, you're so immensely brave for coming through all of that and continuing to speak out the way you are. I mean, I just I really I have to say that because it is it's an absolutely chilling, chilling story. And it also confirms for me the new paradigm that we're living in now, which is that we can no longer engage in a political debate without the potential for hacking 
doxing, some sort of personal destruction. Blacklisting. Blacklisting, yeah. Well, you know, Don McGahn tried to get me to sign an NDA when when I was defamed by Trump. And uh, I was I knew I was banned from CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, I already been banned from Fox. And so he got a cease and desist letter from my lawyer. And Don McGahn, who was the counsel for the Trump campaign, this was now February of 2016. He uh, they got the cease and desist. So Trump's response was to defame me again. Repeat, yeah. repeat this again on Twitter. Uh, so Don McGahn calls my then lawyer and says, hey, how can we dial this back? And, he, and my lawyer said, get those tweets down. We want an apology, but there'd be no apology. And so there was a back and forth. And so Trump McGahn got Trump to what, what Trump was going to do is delete the defamatory tweets about me. If I then signed an NDA where I could not talk about anything in my meetings, conversations <sighs> with Lewandowski, meaning the, the, the super PAC. Sounds like Roger Ailes. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds like no Roger Ailes. Involved, yeah. You know, no money, nothing. Yeah. And I was going to do it. Well, yeah. during that time period is when we figured out I was being, uh, gaffished for information, uh, trying to blackmail me, information to find out what I and Rick Wilson and, and yeah. Liz Mir, what opposition research we had was floating around about Trump. Uh, and I knew it was Trump, Trump people. So I backed out of the deal. Well, Dom again freaked out, called the person who had first approached me about working for the campaign, who had long since left. He didn't last long. And he was like, what the F? We thought we had a deal. She won't sign, you know? <laughs> and because uh, I've, yeah, I've got the NDAs now, and I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to sue, and I think that the worst thing I can do, because first of all, I knew if Trump deleted those those tweets about me, it didn't matter. The damage was done. Yeah. And at that time, I was figuring out he's friends with Zucker. So Zucker was doing this as a favor to him. I know he picked up the phone and says, keep her off the air, just like he had done to Roger Ailes. Like he's oh, done God. to other people. Yeah. And uh, I thought, the damage is done. I now have this other stuff going on. And I thought, the worst thing I can do is to enter into any kind of a legal agreement with Donald Trump where he can control what I do mm. and don't say. I thought, uh-uh. Yeah. So, you know, we sat on this for a while, but... Here's the thing about Don McGahn, who, as you know, eventually became uh, White House chief counsel. Don McGahn, I'm told, um, well, obviously he knew there was a super PAC. Don McGahn, I'm told, is likely the guy who even drew up the papers for the super PAC, because who else would? Don McGahn is a former commissioner on the Federal Election Commission, and here he is actively trying to silence people to help cover up a super PAC and, and a candidate lying, a candidate for Congress lying about a super PAC. And he's a former FEC commissioner, Federal Election Commission. Jesus. To me, that is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he should be hauled in front of Congress for that. Uh, you know, there's so much stuff. Everybody's like, we just got to let it go. There's just too much Trump stuff. It's like, no, do it. People need to know the system works. Mm-hmm. They need to know how ugly this is. Because yeah. if you let these guys go, everybody's going to go. But Dom again was, is it illegal? No. Is it unethical? Oh, you bet. You bet. They have a federal election, federal election commissioner, former federal election commissioner doing this, engaged in this and trying to get me to sign the NDA. Whoa. Covering up. Yeah. And he knew there was a super PAC. He was supporting the lie. The thing that I can't get beyond, Sherry, is why so many people who have reputations and lives and careers, finances, and so on, are willing to stake it all in defense of Donald Trump. They're willing to commit crimes to defend Donald Trump. What is it about Donald Trump that makes people want to stake their entire lives in defense of him? Well, 
It's a couple of things. First of all, there are some people who are drawn to that and they've spent their lives doing that. And those are the types of people that Trump has always surrounded himself with. Yeah. Uh, those are the types. You know, then you have people, you know, I'll, I'll point to a Corey Lewandowski. Corey Lewandowski could never have gotten within 10 miles of any presidential campaign for any job, let alone campaign manager. Uh, Trump presents opportunities to people that they're not qualified for or you know, that they simply could never, never get close to in any other way. Mm. And they aren't going to pass that up. Uh, so there's that. The other thing is a lot of people who were so anti-Trump, uh, people who are big names on TV now, on Fox News, once he became the nominee, and then, of course, once he won, they fell in line. But I have private messages from them, uh, from pretty shocking quarters, saying, I can't believe this guy. I love your tweets. I don't understand this, you know. And then they all fell in line. You have people in Washington, um, the establishment that Trump used to rail against. Well, then it became his establishment. People who, you know, this is what, you know, they, what are they going to do? Lose their job, yeah. lose their column, lose mm-hmm. their TV gig, lose their lobbying gig. This is their life. Lose their social life. You yeah. think they want to give up being a part of the Loudoun County Women's Republican Club <laughs> <laughs> with their <laughs> monthly luncheons? You know, life goes on and they didn't want that to be disrupted in any way. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, again, remember Ari Fleischer contacting me. What he was afraid of is that because he was anti-Trump and they had asked him uh, to work for them, and he said no, just as I did, that they would do the same thing. They were going to lie and say oh, he begged for a job, and the only reason he's slamming Trump is he begged for a job. And then you've got TV execs saying, "Okay, well that disqualifies him from being on," and that's what that's what was happening. Uh, so, um, and I, I got confirmation from a senior CNN producer that in fact it was, did come from on high. And even though I proved that Trump was lying, I always have receipts. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it didn't matter. And that's what was chilling, um, that you had people who, uh, were, were that early on, um, as early as, as you know, summer or October or the fall of 2015 mm-hmm. falling in line. Remember Roger Ailes, the story about Roger Ailes. Uh, knew that Megyn Kelly was going to go, the thing we're going to, okay, we've had our son with Trump. We got to go after him now in that first debate. And when that happened, uh, I read that Ailes was shocked at the deluge of like Twitter messages and social media from Trump fans just slamming Fox and slamming Megyn Kelly. Mm-hmm. And he was caught by surprise and he was shocked because he had no idea Trump had that kind of support. Well, we now know those are Russian bots and trolls. It was, it was manufactured support for Trump, manufactured outrage. Uh, and Ailes was scared. Mm-hmm. So what did he do? He fell in line. Yeah. Oh, and that's, what, that's what they did. So it's really the big Russian bear standing behind Donald Trump that people are mostly intimidated by. Do you think it, or is, is it that, or is it a, a combination of things? Well, I think there was compromise on some people. I, I think there's obviously something very big that they have on Lindsey Graham. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew Lindsey Graham he was a, from time he was a freshman member of Congress, worked with him. He was on the committee, whereas senior staffer loved the guy, loved the guy. Yeah. And everybody loved him, and that's why he became, you know, um, Batman to John McCain, or he became Robin, Robin. to John yeah. McCain's <laughs> Batman. <laughs> yeah, and, well, Lindsey uh, Graham's always the Robin, no doubt about that. Yeah, and, and so this change in him after one golf outing, mm-hmm. um, we know something happened. And I think there's, there's, there's a reason why on the 4th of July, a lot of Republican senators were in Moscow. Yeah. And I think that they were told a few things. Uh, I think when you saw the look, uh, there's that one video where justice Kennedy is have walking with, uh, oh, Trump, yeah. and he's told something and he just 
Whoa. So there's, there's obviously something we don't know how bad it is. Um, we may never know what it is, but we know it is. Yeah. We know this is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's frightening. It's chilling. Um, and I don't know why more people weren't referred to DOJ for indictment. Of course, now there's bars. So maybe they're waiting. But there were a number of people that lied to Congress. I know there are some members of Congress, uh, some that I've been in private contact with, members of Congress who did want to refer um, some people for lying under oath to Congress or forgetting things. And then when they found out that Mueller had it, you know, amending their their testimony, that would be Roger Stone, Michael mm-hmm. Caputo. You have Lewandowski who refused to talk, you know, and, and why is Kellyanne getting away with violating the Hatch Act um, over and over and over again? Yeah. Um, so it's it's a bit of a mystery why they're not being, you know, strung up over that. Although, again, Barr is going to let them off the hook. So yeah. I'm hoping that I, I hope that. There is, um, regardless of what the polls say in a very brief window of time, um, once we have a new administration, a Democrat, um, I hope that the right thing is done and everybody is held to account for everything that they've done so that it never, ever, ever happens again. Jeez, that's such a great point. And uh, I really hope, I mean, for the sake of the future of this country, for the sake of uh, Western democracies all around, it's got to happen. It's not even a choice. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of have to. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, yeah. we, he has to go away because this is untenable, this trajectory that we're on now toward some sort of chaotic Putin manipulated idiocracy is just uh, untenable and the republic won't survive it. Sherry, and history will not be kind. No, <laughs> definitely not. And I, I, I hope uh, that's what one of my sincerest hopes is that uh, Donald Trump will lose and lose in a humiliating way to almost make people embarrassed to have ever supported him in the first place. I mean, that's to me the best case scenario, and I hope that comes true. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Sherry, I can't thank you enough for all of your hard work and dedication to this, uh, especially with the Mueller report. Uh, America reads the Mueller report.org is the website address. Yeah. If you want to contribute. Thank you. Again. We're going for it. Thank you again, Sherry. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Take thank care. You we'll so see. Much. We'll see you on Twitter. Bye-bye. Bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on auto trader, new cars, used cars, electric cars, Maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.